Uh, I'm very thankful today that there are enough people here to have church. Um, looking on Facebook, it seemed like uh, I knew the attendance would be down today, down at the coast. <laughs> I told Pam, I said, if, if, if I see two or three more families from the church at the beach, I'm just going to ride down there just so I can have church somewhere. That's, uh, but it's so good to see you today, and uh, of course, a lot of our folks are out, holiday weekend, and we uh, are so glad that folks are able to enjoy that, glad that you're able to be here today, and uh, not just uh, a holiday weekend, but a hot weekend, too. It's July weather in May. I can't believe that. It is hot. Al, you know how hot it is today? It is so hot. Somebody asked me if we could open the baptistry for swimming after the service <laughs> is over, but uh, that's hot, isn't it? That's hot, so uh, it is hot. Well... It's been said that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And today we're going to talk about that because heart impacts everything that we do. If you're going to do something, it's better to do it with all your heart than to do it half-heartedly. Uh, I saw this quote somewhere. I thought it was significant. Wholehearted people pursue their passion despite risk and the opinions of others. That's a wholehearted person. That no matter what the risk, and no matter what anybody else says, I'm going to pursue my passion wholeheartedly. I enjoy being around wholehearted people. Don't you enjoy being around wholehearted people as well? They're, they're all around us. We see wholeheartedness uh, typically in the realm of sports. Uh, we see it in business. We see it in relationships. Uh, we see it in the military. We just, uh, the choir just sang a beautiful song about Memorial Day, recognizing the fact that over the, the history of our nation, Men and women have not only put their lives on the line for the liberation and freedom that we enjoy as Americans, but many have given their lives. That's what Memorial Day is all about. Men and women who have given their lives in service to our country that we might enjoy the freedoms of America. Among them is the freedom to assemble, to worship as our conscience dictates. Aren't you thankful for all those who have given themselves for us? So wholeheartedness takes place in a, in a military uh, person, no matter what branch you're in. And uh, coming up in July, we'll have 4th of July, we'll celebrate those who have served, that are veterans. But at the same time, we remember those who gave their all wholeheartedly for our country. Well, if you take your Bible this morning, turn to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Because in these verses, we find the story of how a wholehearted young man named David was anointed to be the king of Israel. The king of Israel. Now, let me give you a couple of the key players, names you may know very well, names you may not know that are central to this part of the story. The first name is the name Samuel. You'll notice he has two books of the Bible named after him. Samuel was a prophet. And in the time when Israel had no king, Samuel was a strong voice for the Lord. And so Samuel was a prophet speaking to God's people on behalf of God. That's who Samuel is. The next name you need to know for this story and for really the next several weeks is the name Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. God spoke to Samuel and Samuel sought out Saul and Samuel anointed with oil in a public ceremony. He anointed Saul to be the king over Israel. So Samuel, if you will, was a king maker because he was a prophet of God. Saul was the first king over Israel, and he reigned uh, for about 30 or 40 years. 
And so, so Saul, we need to recognize something about him. As it, early in his reign as king, he was anointed by God. Not just with the oil of his anointing by the prophet, which is on his head, but he was anointed by God, and God's spirit was upon him. Not only was he given the position, but he was given the power that from God that he might exercise his role as king. But at some point, Samuel, uh, Saul rejected, uh, was rejected by God because he disobeyed God. He assumed not only the role of, of king, but he assumed the role of prophet. That was not his role to take. And as a result of his disobedience, God rejected Saul. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, our passage for today, in verse 14 it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He had disobeyed, and God had rejected him, and God had taken his spirit from Saul. Today I want you to notice we're going to talk about Faith in the real world. That's our, 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 the, the title I've given these series of messages for the summer is that we're looking for a faith that is real in our real life circumstances. We need a faith that we can take to the bank with us. Not just for our money. We can take to the bank with us in our marriage. We can take to the bank with us in our relationships. We can take, take to the bank with us in dealing with everyday life. We need a faith like that that will carry us through and God provides a faith just like that so that it can carry us through. But, but it takes being wholehearted. And so we realize today that faith in the real world is and requires a wholehearted faith from us. And so we're going to look at this anointing of now David to be the king over Israel. And we know that, that, uh, that in David exhibiting a wholehearted faith, we recognize that David, like us, can exhibit a wholehearted faith because we have an all-sufficient God. God is able. So I want you to notice with me some, some lessons that we learn about the anointing of David as we work our way through the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Starting in verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him for being king, from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Would you pray with me as we begin? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for your blessings. Thank you for holidays where we get an extra day off from a work week. Thank you for opportunities that many of our Ridgecrest folks have to be at the beach and to be in the mountains and to be uh, enjoying the holiday festivities. Thank you for a holiday like Memorial Day where we can remember those who gave all that we might enjoy freedom and liberty, among which is to, to gather and to worship even today in this place. Thank you for your word, the Bible, that gives us instruction about being wholehearted in our relationship with you. And thank you for the example of David who gave wholehearted devotion and you were able to use him in life-changing ways in the day in which he lived and even in the day in which we live. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk about today, first of all, I want you to notice, God has a plan. God has a plan. I, I really I could say it this way. God always has a plan. He always has a plan. Have you ever been in a, a certain circumstance in your life where you wonder what in the world is going on? 
Where is God? What is he? What, what, what's going on here? Does God even know I'm in these circumstances? What is God going to do in these circumstances? And like David and others have prayed in the scriptures, have you ever prayed like this? God, where are you? And how long will you abandon me? Here's, here's the truth of the matter. God never abandons us. And God always has a plan. So God tells Samuel, the prophet, his plan. He says, now go down to Bethlehem, find Jesse. One of his sons is going to be the next king. Now notice two things here that are very important. The first thing I want you to notice is that God is always at work in ways that we do not see and we do not know. When, when the psalmist, David, and others cry out to God, God, how long and where are you and, and how long will you abandon me? We don't realize that God is working in the background in ways that we don't see and in ways that we don't know. When God spoke to Samuel, Samuel was still grieving over Saul. He loved Saul. And he knew that, that God had turned away from Saul. And, and so he was grieving the fact that Saul was no longer going to be the king. And while he was wrapped up, Samuel was wrapped up in this very human emotion of grieving and, and, and of sadness and, and, and dealing with very human things the way we would understand all of us. Most all of us in this room have most likely experienced some sort of grief over the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job. The loss of a circumstance, a, a relationship, a friend. And in that process of grieving, if we're not careful, we can get stuck. And we can just keep going round and round and round, not making any progress. But listen, God is always at work in our circumstances. God is, is already on the move in Samuel's circumstances and in the nation of Israel's circumstances and in David's circumstances. Samuel just wasn't aware of it because he was wrapped up in the grieving. Notice in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, three things God said. He said, Samuel, I have rejected him. That's Saul. God is at work. He rejected Saul. God's also at work, and he said, I will send you. I'm going to send you. There's a plan in place, and the plan involves you going somewhere for me. And then notice thirdly in verse 1, God says, I have provided for myself. Let's always remember, God provides. Amen? Yes. And always remember... It's all about him and not about us. God said, I've provided for myself. God's will and God's purpose and God's plan is always executed exactly according to his purpose. He does not ask our opinion beforehand. You ever wish God would ask you before he did something? Isn't it, aren't we thankful that he doesn't? See, he reveals himself to us and reveals his plans to us on his timetable. Before any of this ever took place and that made Samuel aware of it, God was already at work in the background. Samuel's over here grieving over Saul, which is understandable, but while he's grieving, God is at work. While you and I are going through our circumstances, and we might think he is nowhere to be found, he is at work in the background. He is at work all around us. He is always at work in ways we don't see and we don't know. Notice the second thing I want, you, I want to point out here in verses 2 and 3. That is that God takes care of any concerns we may have. If there's anything, any obstacles, any, any bumps in the road, any details that have to be worked out, God is going to work them out. If it is God's purpose and plan, God will see it through. Don't you think that's right? God will see it through. So, 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 so there's no obstacle that's too big. There's, there, there's, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no uh, a barrier that we can't get through. If we are proceeding according to God's purpose 
and God's plan. Again, God doesn't always tell us how. He just tells us to go. He tells us to go. Notice verse 2. Samuel said, God said to go, go to find Jesse in Bethlehem, and I'm going to tell you which one of his sons to anoint as king. Samuel says, verse 2, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. If, Saul, if, if the king on the throne hears that I, the prophet, am out here anointing somebody else to be the king, the king is going to kill me. That makes perfect sense. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 3. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Now, the words are on the screen there. If you've got anything to write with, I want to, I want to give you something to write in your listening guide there that will change your life, no matter how old you are or how long you've been a follower of Christ or how strong your relationship is with Him. I want to give you some encouragement that can and will change your life. I want you to write down these words from 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 3. Here are the words. I will show you what you shall do. Write that down if you would. I will show you what you shall do. I will show you what you shall do. This is what God says to Samuel in this circumstance. Samuel's grieving over Saul. He's been told to go anoint somebody else as, as king and knowing that the, the, the king Saul might kill him if he does it. And God says to him, I will show you what you shall do. So have you got that written down? I will show you what you shall do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say those words with me. And as we say them together, I want you to remember, these are God's words to Samuel, but these are God's words to you. And these are God's words to me. In circumstances that, that, that cause the hair on the back of our neck to stand up because it puts us at risk, in circumstances where we don't see how it's all going to work out on the other side, God says, I will show you what you shall do. Would you say those words out loud with me? Let's say them together. I will show you what you shall do. Let's say them together again. I will show you what you shall do. Notice as God says this to Samuel, he doesn't tell him what he's going to do. He tells him that he's going to tell him what he's going to do. All you have to do, Samuel, is follow me. Now, now, these words you've written down there in your listening guide, I want you to, to not only to write it down, I want you to take it home, I want you to stick it in your Bible, I want you to write it on the inside of your Bible cover page. If you write in your Bible, which I write all over mine, I think it's a wonderful practice to have. I want you to not only write it down and read it, but I want you to act on it. When God tells you to do something, and you know that there's obstacles, and you don't know how He's going to work through them, I want you to recognize these words from God. You just go and be obedient, and I will show you what you are to do. I want you to notice again, as you're looking at verse 3 there on the screen, I want you to notice the three things that God says. God says, I show you, and then God says, I tell you, and then God says, you act on it. I will show you, God says, and at the end he says, I declare to you. God says, you will see with your eyes, and you will hear with your ears, and now you go do what I tell you. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 3. God says you will hear it and you will see it. Now go do it. 
And as we pray, I pray that we will pray that very, those very words. Lord, help us to see what you're doing. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying. Lord, help us to obey. Because if you only hear it and you only see it, but you don't do it, guess what? It does you no good, and God's going to find somebody else to accomplish his will. I want you to notice the second thing that we see in this passage description. That is that God requires obedience. That's the third part of what we just talked about. God says, I'll show you and I'll tell you, but you have to act. And so we see, secondly, God requires obedience. Now, let me say this. God requires obedience from us even when we do not understand. Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but before I ever embark on a journey, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know how I'm going to get there. I want to know how long it's going to take. I want to know how much it's going to cost. I want to know all the details before I ever get in my car and start driving down the road. Is any of you like that? If you're going to the beach, that's a smart route to take. If you're going to the mountains, that's a smart route to take, to to get all those things in place and make sure before you start the journey, make sure you can get to the destination and that you have all the supplies you need. That's a smart thing to do on a human basis. But God doesn't deal with us on a human basis. He deals with us on a godly basis. So there are times that you you will be called by God to do something, and even though you don't understand it, you're still called to do it. Al mentioned one of the promotions we're doing right now is the Who's Your One campaign, to prayerfully identify one person. Lord, help me to, to know one person that you can put on my heart that I can pray for them and I can look for opportunities for you to work in their circumstances and in their life in such a way that, that you will be glorified and they might come to know Christ. God requires obedience when we don't understand. He requires obedience when it does not make sense. And He requires obedience even when there are consequences to face that may be risky or dangerous. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. That's the third thing. God says, you'll see it and you'll hear it, now you have to do it. Samuel did it. He did as the Lord commanded, and he went to Bethlehem. Now, when he went to Bethlehem, how do you think Samuel went to Bethlehem? He was this man of God. He was a prophet. He had interacted with God since he was a young boy. Fascinating story about Samuel at a young age. Read it sometime. It's a great story. But God had spoken to him, and now Samuel's afraid because he knows if Saul the king finds out that Samuel the prophet is anointing somebody else king, Saul's going to have him killed. So I can imagine, in a human sense, Samuel's going to Bethlehem and he's looking over his shoulder. Does anybody see what I'm doing here? I can understand if he's a little bit fearful that it might cost him his life to carry out what God had put upon his heart. I can, I can understand if he was a little wary or a little self-conscious. Verse 4, the elders of the city came to meet him trembling. See, they were trembling. Why? Because Samuel was the prophet of God. And when Samuel went somewhere, it might be to pronounce a blessing. That's a good thing. But Samuel could also come somewhere and pronounce judgment from God for sin. And so they came out to meet. Here's, here's Samuel, maybe a little fearful himself. And here come the people trembling in their boots. And they say to Samuel, do you come, do you come, do you, do you come peacefully? Are you coming in peace? Is this, is, this, is, this a good tri- is this a good thing to see you? Verse 5, and Samuel said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. What consecrate? You've heard that word consecrate before. What does it mean? To consecrate means to set apart or to designate for God. To clean up and dedicate to God. So, so when, when the people were going to worship, they were often called to go consecrate themselves and prepare themselves for worship. So now Samuel's come to offer a sacrifice. And he says, he says to the people, go consecrate yourselves and be ready to come to worship. You can consecrate in the scriptures. You can consecrate an item. It might be an, an altar where the, where the sacrifice is going to be given. That altar is consecrated to the Lord. It might be an animal, the, the heifer that he brought, the, the, the calf. It might, it might have been consecrated to God, set apart and dedicated to Him. And then the people were to be consecrated. They were to be set apart for God, which meant they were to go and to wash the dirt off of their bodies. They were to put on their, 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 the clothes that they would wear when, when they went into the presence to worship God. And they were called to not only consecrate themselves outwardly, but more importantly, to consecrate themselves inwardly. They were to deal with their, their mind and get their mind off of worldly things and put their mind on godly things. They were to consecrate their heart and get their heart off of sinful things and put their heart onto things of God. They were to be prepared outwardly and physically, inwardly and spiritually, so they could come into the presence of God in a consecrated state so they might worship God. I, I know that in that day... Just like in our day, there are people that show up and they're not ready to worship God. Some people have not taken outward steps to prepare themselves to, to worship the Lord. Some people have not taken inward steps to prepare themselves to worship the Lord. I heard a story about a fellow one time. He came to church every single Sunday dressed from head to toe. His hair was right. His suit was right. His tie was right. He got it. Everything was just perfect. And he was having a conversation and, and, and some words came out of his mouth that should not be spoken by a Christian. And somebody said to him, where's this coming from? You're not ready to be in church. He said, what do you mean I'm not ready to be in church? I've got my hair just right. I've got my, my, my aftershave on. I've shaved my face. I've put on my suit. I've put on my tie. I spent 45 minutes getting myself ready for church. What do you mean? And the issue is that oftentimes we can do all the outward consecration that we want. And listen, that's a good thing. But we most of all need to make sure we consecrate and set apart our heart for the things of God. And not just for those moments where we know we're coming to church, but for those moments when we face a day on a Monday, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, every single day of the week. Well, consecration is preparation for worship. It's setting yourself apart to be used by God in His service. What if God called you out to go to a foreign nation and share the gospel in a hostile environment. And by hostile, I mean hostile to the gospel. What if God told you to uproot your family and move across the ocean and take the gospel to people there? Consecrate yourself and go, just like God told Samuel to go to Bethlehem. Sometimes he says to you and I, go here or go there. As you may know as a church, we have two houses that we own. And missionaries stay in our houses when they come home from overseas. And right now we're in the process of two new families coming in. And in a couple of weeks I'll be introducing you to these families. I've asked them to come to our worship services. One family 
has already moved in and, and are already here. They serve in an area that is hostile to the gospel. And they've taken their family there. And there's a risk that goes with that. What if God called you to do? How, how ready would you be to do something like that? But, but even, even more than that, what if, what if God called you to consecrate yourself and take the message of the gospel to your school if you're a student? What if God called you to consecrate yourself and take his message, the gospel, to your job, your workplace, when you, where you work? What if God called you to consecrate yourself and take the gospel to, to, to the store where you shop or to the neighborhood get-together where, where, where you live or to the team that you're on or to whatever group you happen to be around? Or what if God called you to consecrate yourself and take the gospel to your one, that one person that you're praying for? There's a risk, but there's also an opportunity for the gospel. Why don't you notice a, a third thing we see in this passage, and that is that God prioritizes the heart. God prioritizes the heart. And I'm not making a phone call. I just noticed that my clock up there is not working right. So uh, I want to make sure I get you out of here before 2 o'clock this afternoon because this is some good stuff I'm sharing with you from the Scripture. The third thing today, God prioritizes the heart. It takes a wholehearted faith to follow the Lord. I'm going to say that again because it's important. It takes a wholehearted faith to follow the Lord. Our faith is not ever in Scripture described as a half-hearted faith. You ever heard of the half-hearted hymnal? In the regular hymnal, there's that great hymn, I Surrender All. But in the half-hearted hymnal, it says, I surrender some. God can't do when we surrender some. And so, start, look with me, starting in verse number 6. When they came, uh, uh, when, when they came, this is Jesse's family. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Remember, Samuel was sent to Bethlehem by God because God says to Samuel, One of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. So Samuel goes, he gets everybody together, he consecrates them, they're set apart, and now Jesse's sons are coming by, and the first one, Eliab, steps up. And Saul says, uh, Samuel says, man, this has got to be the one. Whatever it was about Eliab, Samuel thought, this has got to be the one. God has chosen right out, right out of the chute, right off the bat. The first one through, this is the guy. Verse 7, but. God ever told you but? You think, I know this. And God has put me here, and this has got to be God's will. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You're looking, Samuel, you're looking at the outside. I'm looking at the inside. You're looking at what he can do physically. I'm looking at what he can do spiritually. You're looking at what he can perform. I'm looking for how much he loves me. So it's not a lie. No problem. There's more. Verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Scratch him off. Verse 9, then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Scratch him off the list. And I'm sure somewhere Samuel's thinking, all right, how many sons has he got here? <laughs> Verse number 10, 
And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And there's an air here almost like Samuel's blaming Jesse. He says, you got seven that passed by. The Lord has not chosen any of these boys. Almost like, what's wrong with you, Jesse? I want you to notice again verse 7. Because that's a key verse in this passage of Scripture. You see the words on the screen there. I want you to say them with me. Ready? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And that's what God was looking for. The Bible has many verses that deal with the heart. I want to share just a couple of them with you to kind of set the stage for exactly what God is doing, exactly what God is looking for. Not only in, in David, the next king, but what God is looking for in your life and in my life. Joshua 22 and verse 5 says, Be very careful to observe the commandment that the law and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. You are to give yourself wholeheartedly. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That phrase, the meditation of my heart, deals with our thinking. It deals with considering and mulling it over and meditating in our mind. And it deals with applying it to our lives. If we want to be acceptable to God, we meditate in our heart upon His Word. Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. How, we, how do I seek God? With my what? Say it with me. My whole heart. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. I love that phrase. Let your heart keep my commandments. You know what I think is significant about this verse? It's important to keep the commandments. But if our heart's not in it, do you know what's going to happen? If our heart is not in reading and studying and applying and meditating on the Word of God, if our heart's not in it, what's going to happen is we're going to start going through some religious ritual routines. And we might read the Bible, and we might come to church, we might put some money in the offering plate, we might go on a trip with a joy club, we might go to camp with the teenagers, we might go on a mission trip to Haiti, we might do all these things that Ridgecrest Baptist Church does, and you might go through all these outward motions, but if your heart is not in it, it will be dead. It will be a ritual. You'll begin to dread it. You'll begin to just simply go through that routine. You'll be like the man I described earlier who did everything to make himself outwardly presentable, but inwardly his heart was not prepared and not right. You can do it outwardly and you can fool a lot of people. But if it's not with your heart, the passion's not there. God is looking for those who will follow after Him with all their heart with a passion that will make a difference and that you can know when you see somebody, you know if somebody's living the Christian life because they're, they're just going through the motions or because they're passionate about Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I love that, that first part of verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Love and faithfulness, those two things. Don't let them get away from you. 
If you're not careful, when you drive on Interstate 85, <laughs> you can lose all signs of love and faithfulness, can't you? If you're not careful when you're outside in 95-degree weather and you're trying to check out at the store and somebody's in front of you that doesn't, can't figure out how to get it all together and you're in a hurry to get somewhere, if you're not careful, love and faithfulness can leave you far behind. Isn't that right? If you're not careful in how you deal with your husband and your wife, if you're not careful in how you deal with your children or your parents, if you're not careful in how you deal with God, love and faithfulness can escape. But notice what he says here in, in Psalm, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 3. Bind them around your neck. Take these, these two things, love and faithfulness, put them around your neck like a necklace. And you know what else when you put something around your neck? You know what it's close to? It's close to your heart. It's close to your heart where your passion is. And he says, write them on the tablets of your heart. Engrave them into your heart to love and be faithful. Notice Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. All your heart. Not a half-hearted trust, but a whole-hearted trust. When you don't know what the outcome is going to be, when there's risk involved, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. In other words, protect your heart. Put a guard around your heart. Don't let ungodly things into your heart because it will turn you away from God. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God says, I'm searching your heart like a spotlight shining right in through the window of your soul. That's both scary, but it's also encouraging that when my heart is wholly committed to God, he'll know it. Matthew 6 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This picture of, of our relationship to God and what God is looking for is not half-hearted religion, but whole-hearted relationship to God. That's what he's looking for in a king. That's what he's looking for in a follower of Christ today. That's what he's looking for from me, and that's what he's looking for from you. I want you to notice a last thing here, too, and that is that God equips us to accomplish the task. See, God prioritizes the heart. And let me ask you, what does God see when he looks at your heart? What level of wholeheartedness or half-heartedness is there within your heart for the things of God. And we think also now, God equips us, fourthly, to accomplish the task. Look with me at verse number 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? They'd come through one at a time. Samuel said, This has got to be the one, but it's not him. All of them have passed by, all seven. So Samuel says to Jesse, It's all the sons you got? Is this it? Because if this is it, I'm in trouble. If this is it, I've misheard God. If this is it, I don't know what we're going to do. Sometimes God has to eliminate distractions. And sometimes God has to eliminate false perceptions in order to make clear his will. Man, that was so true in this circumstance. Samuel was distracted by 
Eliab's height and his stature. He was the oldest. He might have been the, the best looking. He might have looked very athletic. And, 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 and he was distracted by that. There, there were false perceptions that, that, it, that it wasn't Eliab. It would be Shema. It would be, it'd be uh, Abinadab or one of the others. But, but, but it was none of those. All those distractions and perceptions had to be set aside so that God's purpose could be displayed. And isn't that so true in our lives? Isn't that so true? We get so wrapped up in things that really are of no importance to the will of God, and we get distracted. And if we're not careful, we can get false perceptions about God's purpose and His plan, about what He's doing. When, when, when the psalmist cries out in Scripture, Oh God, why have you abandoned me? He's wrong. God has not abandoned him. When, when, when you and I feel like God has hung us out to dry, we're wrong. God has not hung us out to dry. Those are false perceptions that we gain when we don't keep our eyes wholeheartedly focused upon the Lord. So Samuel says, is this all you got? And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but he's out keeping the sheep. The youngest one of the bunch, he's out, he's out there with the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, now know, feel the urgency here. Samuel says, send and get him. And we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. Don't go nowhere. Don't take a drink. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't, don't, go, don't go fix him here. We are staying right here until the youngest one gets back, and I sure hope this is the one. Verse 12, and he sent him and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then say it in the Scripture, I'm sure Samuel said, Whew. <laughs> Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Don't you notice that last phrase? Because we often don't recognize this as one of the keys to David's life. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And then it says, Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. In other words, Samuel said, I'm out of here. I've done my job. I've been obedient. I've anointed the one. And, and, and so now I'm out of here. I don't want Saul to catch wind of this. I don't want Saul to come after me. I'm out of here. Well, notice here a couple things with me. One is, there's a human recognition of what God was doing. And the human recognition is that the prophet took oil from a horn. It hollowed out horn, and oil was in it. And oil was used as a symbol of God's presence, a symbol of, of setting apart, a symbol of consecration, a symbol of the Spirit of God. And so Samuel the prophet poured oil from this horn onto the head of David, the youngest son of Jesse, anointing him and setting him apart to be the king over Israel. It wouldn't, take, it wouldn't happen for years, but he was already anointing him now at this young age, right out of the field. And so, so, so they took some of this oil and anointed him, and it says they're in the midst of his brothers. There's a crowd. The family had gathered around, and Samuel anointed David, signifying the hand of God upon him. When we have ordination services here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, we follow somewhat of the same 
formula. We recognize God has his hand on this person and God has set this person aside and sending them out for his glory and for his purposes. And so we're going to humanly recognize that with a consecration and setting apart of that. You'll notice in your bulletin this morning here in a couple of weeks, we're going to vote as a church that, that we set aside and anoint and ordain uh, a young man, Biambison Pierre who's become a very important, vital part of our church. And as he and Morgan, his wife, are preparing to head to Haiti as missionaries. And so we'll be talking about that more in the weeks to come. But, but there's human recognition of the plan of God. Secondly, notice God's provision. It says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord, it didn't just say came upon him, but rushed upon him. There was something that happened where the Spirit of God suddenly was on David. This ruddy little redhead, red skin, uh, whatever the, the feet, ruddy means red, whatever feature that was, with that redness and those beautiful eyes and his handsome features, he now had the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And it says, from that day forward. One theologian said it this way, the Old Testament always speaks of God's Spirit coming suddenly on someone to equip and empower that person to serve the interest of God and His people. So as I was studying, I wrote this down. The combination of a heart for God and the provision of God accomplishes the will of God. A heart for God the provision of God through His Spirit accomplishes the will of God in David's life, in your life, in my life. You see, it was no longer just David. He now had the call and he had the provision in the same way that you and I have the call and we have the provision of God upon our lives. David's outward qualities, he was ruddy or red, something about his complexion or his hair, he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. All that was outward. But there were also some inward and Godward qualities about David. Acts 13.22 says it this way. God says, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart and who will do all my will. To be after God's heart does not mean to have a heart like God. Nobody can. But it means to be pursuing God's heart. It means to be pursuing wholeheartedly the things of God and let everything else fall by the wayside. I'm going to follow God. And so we see here that to follow God wholeheartedly is to do, as it says in Acts 13, 22, to do all of God's will. Not just to pick and choose what we want and what we like and what we don't like about God's will, but to do all of God's will. Now, we see the heart of David in his writings. The writings of David. He, he, he wrote many of the Psalms that we see in Scripture. And I want to just, just share with you several uh, instances of things David wrote that are a part of the Bible that describe his wholehearted devotion to God. We see that he had a reverent heart. In Psalm 18 and verse 3, he says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I call upon the Lord. Why? He's worthy. Reverent. David exhibited a dependent heart. Psalm 31 and verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. I'm in distress. What am I doing? I'm depending on God. That's wholehearted. He also had a trusting heart. Psalm 27 and verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'm trusting God. What are you going to do to me? 
The Lord is the strength hold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid if I'm trusting on God who is able to do anything? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? David also exhibited a loving heart. Psalm 18 and verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He had a joy-filled heart. Psalm 4 verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when, they're, with their, when their grain and wine abound. When they get drunk and they're sitting on all the storehouses of their grain and they're having a big party blowing it all out, I'm happier than they are because I've got God. That's a good verse to remember for a lot of us. He also had a praising heart, Psalm 9-1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my what? Whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. He had a mindful heart. Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He had an obedient heart. Psalm 119, 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. He was obedient. Then he had a repentant heart. So important for us. If we're going to follow God, we need, we, we, it, it is demanded of us to have a repentant heart. Psalm 25, 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. God, I've sinned against you, not just in a small way. God, my sin before you, my guilt is great. Forgive me. Well, David's example is a great example for us. It's a great roadmap for you and I to, to look at his life and to see the, the wonderful, positive qualities, the wholehearted devotion that he gave to God. When he did this, he sets a wonderful example for us. He changed his nation. He changed the history of the world. He continues to change things even yet today by his example. And it's a wonderful example to follow in so many ways. But we're also going to be talking over the course of several weeks some negative things as well. Here's David, called by God, anointed by the prophet. The Spirit of God has rushed upon his life and stayed with him. And David's life demonstrates for us that just because you are wholehearted and anointed and spirit-filled does not mean that you cannot turn away from God. Just because you've set your course to be wholeheartedly following after God does not mean that you cannot turn away from God. It does not mean that you cannot sin. It does not mean that you attain this level of sinlessness that it seems like some preach from the pulpit. If you're just faithful enough, you can get this level of sinlessness. We won't get there in this life. I promise you. The Scripture tells us. And David's life teaches us that even though we're called out and His presence is with us, we still have to fight temptation and human desires. With God... We are able, but we have to stay wholeheartedly committed to God. I want to ask you this morning as Al comes up, we're going to sing our last song here in just a moment. Which area of your heart are you holding back from God? That's a hard question. I know. I'm going to ask it again. Which area of your heart are you holding back from God? As you examine your spiritual walk before the Lord, is it a, is it a wholehearted Walk before God where I'm, everything, Lord, belongs to you. Everything of my time, my energy, my, my, my funding, my family, everything I've got, Lord, I'm following after you wholeheartedly or is it somewhat half-heartedly? And you've got a lot of people around you may be fooled into thinking you're this great Christian man or woman 
You may look the part on the outside, but inside there's some junk going on. Which part of your heart are you holding back from God? And I want to tell you something today. Whatever it is that you're holding back, when you give it to God, it'll be a blessing. Whatever part you're holding back, for whatever reason it is, when you give it over to God and say, Lord, I want to follow you with all my heart. I want love and faithfulness to be around my neck, close to my heart, and not to leave me. I want to be that man or that woman after your heart, Lord. I want to pursue you. When you get to that point, when I get to that point, there's blessing, there's meaning, there's fulfillment, there's purpose. We look around and see this great party the world is having. They're getting drunk on their wine and they're sitting on all the grain they've harvested. But listen, the joy of the Lord is far greater than that. And He makes it available for us. What part of your heart are you holding back from the Lord? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Our Heavenly Father this morning, I thank you for David. And I thank you that his story is a real story. And I thank you that his life is a real life. And I thank you that we can learn so many great, wonderful, positive lessons about following after you. I pray today that we would each determine in our heart to follow you with our whole heart, to be wholehearted followers of our God through our faith in Jesus through our faithful living, through our families, through our church, through our jobs, in our schools, in our friendships, that wherever we are, there will be no doubt that our highest priority is you. And Lord, I know right now I'm speaking to people, praying among people, some of whom are struggling with their heart and being devoted to you. I pray, Lord, you would impress upon them your call. I pray you would impress upon them your spirit. And I pray with great joy they would determine to be a wholehearted follower of Christ. And Lord, for someone even here today that's never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray even this could be the day of salvation. It's right where they're sitting right now. They would cry out to you in their heart, Oh God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I thank you that you are my Savior. Jesus, who died on the cross in my place and for my sin. And right now, Lord, I ask you to save me from my sin, to live within my heart, to walk with me every day, take me to heaven one day, and help me to live for you wholeheartedly every single day of my life. I pray, Lord, even today someone has prayed that prayer so that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. But also, in the Lord, today there are some in our midst who are not wholeheartedly following you, but only half-heartedly. Lord, may they even now in the quietness of this moment in their hearts cry out to you and say, Lord, I give you this area of my life and that area of my life and anything I'm holding back, I give it to you, Lord, that I might follow you wholeheartedly every single day. And for all these things, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.